This is Silicon Valley Beat. I'm Annie Gauss. For Google, the fallout is continuing today from a screed written by a Google software engineer that went viral over the weekend. To recap, this was a 10-page document written by a Google software engineer that went around internally at the company and then got to the public. In it, this guy posited that there are fewer females in leadership and tech positions at Google because they are biologically unsuited for programming jobs. Obviously, this is a position that's going to piss some people off, for example, females who do work in tech or leadership positions. But as a result, this engineer was fired, and Google CEO Sundar Pichai actually cut his vacation short to come back and deal with this whole blow-up, which I can't imagine he was too excited or happy about. I wouldn't be. <laughs> anyway, he wrote in a memo today that to Google employees that this guy was fired because he violated the company's code of conduct in creating a hostile work environment. In this memo, though, he really had to walk a fine line in also emphasizing that Google recognizes free speech, even for those with opinions that many people find noxious. In the meantime, this fired engineer named James Damore has filed a complaint against Google, saying he was subjected to coercive statements while at the company. If you really want to go further down this rabbit hole with this thing, not that I necessarily recommend it, you can search Twitter for mentions of this dude to get a sense of what people, at least on Twitter, are saying about it. Anyway, in the middle of this whole controversy, controversy, Joshua, our caller, sent in this call-in on what the implications could be for Google. Take it away, Joshua. Hey, I was wondering how is the article from the Google employee going to affect Google's future, um, I guess, activities when involving free speech stuff and um, Google's other uh, content like YouTube and how that's going to affect their policy with them. I'm just curious. Hey, Joshua, thanks for the call-in. To answer the second part of your question first, I don't think that this controversy is likely to have any impact on how we experience Google in terms of the content we, the content we see on YouTube or any other Google products. This is, after all, a personnel and operations problem within the company, but I don't think it'll be reflected in their products at all. But I do think it could very well play a role in Google adjusting its internal policies because this whole manifesto situation is a flashpoint for bigger questions that Google is dealing with. It's coinciding with um, a U.S. Department of Labor investigation into unequal pay at the company, and they've been tied up with this, this situation for a while, with the Department of Labor accusing Google in April of having extreme pay disparities. Now, as some background, Google contracts with the federal government, and as part of that, they have to comply with equal opportunity laws. But they've been tied up in the courts with the DOL um, as part of this investigation, with Google refusing to hand over salary information thus far. In the meantime, separately, more than 60 current and former employees of Google are considering filing a lawsuit against the company, with some saying that they made a third less than male peers with the same qualifi qualifications and experience. 
Google has about 72,000 employees total, so if this is found to be a systemic issue, it could potentially affect a large number of people. And Google CEO Sundar Pichai appears to be taking it seriously and probably, at the very least, would like to avoid further negative attention on this problem. So we'll see how this plays out with regard to the investigation and this potential lawsuit, but I wouldn't be surprised if all this fallout affects how Google thinks about things internally. As for broader free speech-related topics, Google is fighting separate battles on YouTube, but those are are more driven by advertiser sentiment. There was this big blow-up a couple months ago when it came out that Google was placing ads for mainstream brands that were paying for ads on hate speech type videos and other offensive content. Advertisers did not like that and some boycotted. And as a result, YouTube has been making adjustments to content categorization since then. But that's kind of a whole separate thing driven by separate motivations. But anyway, I hope that helps Joshua. Thanks again for calling in. Did you know that Facebook had an app called Life Stage exclusively for teenagers? Well, if you did, it doesn't anymore. Facebook has pulled a standalone app that it created in the image of Snapchat, but exclusively for teens. It was created by a 19-year-old Facebook employee and released about a year ago. And the original idea was to uh, provide a place for teens to post ephemeral snapshots, a lot like Snap. You were blocked from using the app if you listed your age as over 21, but as we all know, it's quite easy to lie about personal info on the internet, so subsequently the app got a little bit of negative feedback for privacy reasons. Regardless though, LifeStage did not seem to really catch on, possibly owing to the fact that there are about a hundred other ways to keep in touch with your friends if you're a teenager, one of them being regular Facebook, another being Instagram, also owned by Facebook, or another being Snap, or five million other things you can use. So did this app get any significant number of users at all in its life? Not sure, and the the app had not been updated in months, and it's gone now, so I guess we'll never know. A Facebook rep said that teens continue to make up an important part of the global community on Facebook, and we learned a lot from LifeStage. So RIP LifeStage. Since we just talked about LifeStage, Facebook's would-be competitor to Snap for teenagers, I wanted to revisit one of my favorite topics on this channel, which is Snap. Snap versus Instagram, Snap versus advertisers, Snap versus the future. However existential you want to get, I'm loving all your call-ins on this. So recently, it was reported that Snap is making a play for the camera drone market, acquiring a drone maker called Zero Zero Robotics. Now, Zero Zero specializes in making selfie drones. Yes, this is a $500 drone that can recognize faces to facilitate selfie taking, and it's currently sold at Apple stores. I asked you guys what you thought about Snap making a play at drones and whether this is a good strategy for them. Ben from the Character Channel has this perspective on what makes hardware fundamentally different. Thank you, Ben, for the call-in. Thanks all of you for stopping by Silicon Valley Beat. Be back soon. 
Hey Annie, Ben here. Thanks again for sharing your thoughts on Snap and their potential acquisition of that drone company. They're in an interesting time right now considering that uh, their stock isn't performing well and I don't think the recent news yesterday of them not being accepted into the S&P 500 has helped their position in any way. Uh, but it, it'll be interesting to see the way that investors perceive the hardware play of, uh, of a drone company considering that the first piece of hardware, the glasses, didn't work out so well. So one thing I do know is that um, technology platforms are exponential whereas hardware is not. And uh, often investors like the upside or the potential upside of exponential platforms or technologies. So. We'll see where it goes.